Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. By the way, I found out in the prayer meeting this morning that the group that's been up here before you and is here now, we are entitling the Bee Gees. Anybody ever heard of the Bee Gees? Okay, well, this is the Bee Gees. My last name is Brown, and the two, all of the folks up here today were either Grafts or Goodens. So they said it was the G's, and I said, no, it's the Bee Gees. You have to be older to get that. You, you, you have to be a little bit older. Probably the young people have never heard of the Bee Gees, and I will not try to sing one of their songs for you. By the way, something else I thought of this morning was this is my 11th Sunday in a row, and that hasn't occurred since I retired in 2000, at the end of 2005. And I thought, you know, it's pretty neat to go preach a sermon or two, but 11 in a row, I, I have a new hard appreciation for John MacArthur because he's older than I am, and he's still doing it every week. But, so this is the 11th, and the baton will be passed back. And uh, we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 5 and look at probably four of the harder verses in the New Testament, maybe in the Bible. But it is a transition section, and I've entitled it, The Bridge Between the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. The Bridge Between the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And it is helpful and I know Doug, I'm not going to put him in a rough spot, but he's thinking of continuing and praying um, about continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. So pray for him as he seeks the Lord's leading in this. But this is the bridge. If he doesn't continue in it, you continue in it and read through the Sermon on the Mount and study it because it is very, very um, powerful and very appropriate especially after the Beatitudes. Okay, with all of that, let's just pray again real quick. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Open our hearts to it. Give me power from on high. Let it not be my words, but yours. And may you move mightily in our midst by your spirit. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, this is probably one of the most difficult passages, so I'm going to give you my understanding after studying it a lot again this particular week, but I want you to know that there are godly men who are going to have a little bit different opinions, and this is one of those that you really have to study and look at for yourself, but I think it's important proper interpretation of this passage uh, will help us understand the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and their relationship and their differences and how we are to see that now as people, as the church living under the New Covenant. It will also help us properly interpret the practical material in the sermon to follow what Jesus is saying there. And I think if we look at this, what Jesus is saying, he's particularly addressing 
the scribes and Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount. But he's addressing everyone too, all Jews that he was preaching to at the beginning of his ministry. And what he is about to say in the Sermon on the Mount is, you Pharisees, you religious leaders that everybody looks up to and sees you praying on the corner and sees you putting your money in and ringing the bell so that you will get attention. He's saying to all that are listening, I want you to know that your righteousness better far exceed theirs because they're not even close. They're the ones that people in their day were looking up to and saying, man, boy, they are religious people, those Pharisees. They really have it. They, they really know what they're doing, and I, I really marvel at them. I wish I could be like them. No. Jesus is saying you don't want to be like them because they emphasize the outward things, and they try to do the law in their own strength, and they try to hold up their righteousness before God and let it be seen before men. And Jesus is going to say in the Sermon on the Mount, that is not why I'm preaching this sermon to you. I'm preaching it to you so that you will know that the righteousness that God wants is a heart righteousness. Not this outward stuff. Not this going through all of these things and even changing the law and adding your own thoughts to it. Where you would come up with something like Corbin. Do you remember that? The Pharisees were saying and the scribes when their parents were in need in their older age, you know, mom, dad, we would help you if we could. But we have declared all of our resources as Corbin. They're only for God. What, what did the Pharisees do with that kind of thing? They made laws of their own and they protected their money so that they could even find reasons not to help those in need, even their own family. Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes, don't look at what you think is righteousness from them, but look to me. I came to give you what you need to know to be righteous before God. I came to die. I came to give my life for your sins that you can come to God through faith and you can have new life and a new heart and you can serve him with the power of the Spirit of God in you. Don't follow their example. So this is a bridge between the Beatitudes, these four verses, a bridge between the Beatitudes and what is coming in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read these four verses. This is Matthew chapter 5. And we'll read 17 to 20. Jesus is still speaking, one of the, if not the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. He says this, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called 
great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Is that an amazing statement? The people that you think are the most righteous among you, if your righteousness isn't greater and surpasses theirs, you won't go into the kingdom, which means they won't go into the kingdom. Not unless there's a heart change. They're basically two um, different points to make in trying to outline the sermon, to unpack it. The first one is in verses 17 to 8, we can entitle Christ in the law. And the second is in 19 to 20, we can entitle that children of the kingdom or the child of the kingdom and the law. And it's an important transition to what's going to come between chapter 5, verse 21, and the end of chapter 7 in the sermon. So first of all, we're going to look at Christ and the law. Notice that when Christ spoke these words, verses 17 and 18, the old covenant was still in effect. It was still as it had been given to Moses back in the book of Exodus. It was still in complete effect when he's preaching the sermon. And I think one of the things is when he mentions the law or the prophets, kind of ties in with that and makes us know that he is speaking of the old covenant. Christ was born under it, Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, born under the law. He was born under that covenant and he fully obeyed it throughout his lifetime. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 would say to us, he was faithful and he never missed, not on one tiny point of the law. Now, what do we know from the old covenant law? We know this. If you want to be made righteous before God, you have to keep every point of it. You can't miss on one thing, on one day, in one second, whether it's in thought or deed. You've broken it, and you come under its curse. Jesus came under it to show us as the God-man I can fulfill it by living it, and he did. He fully obeyed it. Furthermore, the Jews of his day were under the law. They were under the law. They were to keep it. But the problem was with them, they thought that in their keeping it in their own strength and trying to do their best, they had a zeal for God, Paul says in Romans 2, but without knowledge. They thought they were okay. They thought they could keep it all. But Moses made it very clear in Deuteronomy. They couldn't keep it all, and therefore they came under its curse. But here's another thought. Even those that had been given a new heart under the old covenant were to live it out. Did they do it perfectly? No. They had come to know the Lord the same way that Abraham did in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God 
regarding the truth about the coming seed. And that seed, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, is Christ, singular, not seeds, plural. Abraham put his faith in the promise of God that one day, one of my heirs, the seed, is coming and he will bring righteousness and he will bring us to you, God. And he put his faith there and he was saved through faith. We're going to talk about that in, in Romans starting tomorrow night in the seminary course advertisement. Just throw that in. You want to come? You can come. We're meeting up on the second floor at 5.30 tomorrow evening. But here, here is Jesus. He is coming. He lives it. He fulfills it. Every prophetic promise, Peter talks about that in Acts chapter 10. Every prophet wrote about Jesus. In Luke 24, remember Jesus when he meets the men on the road, on the Emmaus road, and he sits down with them later. They don't even know who he is. They haven't figured it out, and he takes the Bible, he takes the Old Testament, which is what they had, and he goes from Genesis all the way to Malachi, and he says, this is all about me. In the Old Covenant was truth that they could be saved with. You could preach the gospel from the Old Covenant, during the Old Covenant, because it's about the Messiah, the one that would save the one that needed to come and to give his life a ransom for us. So even saved Old Testament saints were to live under the law. They were to look to him for strength to keep it. I want to read to you just a few verses just to give you some thoughts about this, because a lot of times I don't think we're so keyed in on, you, you mean that the Old Testament talked about needing a new heart too? I want to tell you why I think that's important to grasp. And I'm going to read to you just a few verses, even out of Deuteronomy. I'm not going to tell you all the verses. I'll start with 529. I'll end up with uh, 30 verse 6. But listen to this out of Moses writing in the book of Deuteronomy, that they had such a heart in them to fear me. In other words, they didn't have a heart to fear him. Moses is saying, God wants you to have that heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Here's another verse. God was testing you to know what was in your heart. Heart is that word when it's not used for the pumping organ in our body, the physical, it's used of the inner man of the spirit. And here's Moses saying, God wants you to have a new heart. He wants you to worship him with all. He's testing you to see what's in your heart, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart. Circumcise, Moses says in 1016, circumcise your heart and stiffen no more. Obviously, you can't circumcise your, your own heart, but you can call out to God because you have that need. Here's another verse. Love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart. The Lord is testing you to find out if you, have, if you love him with all your heart. Do these commands with all your heart. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know him, eyes to see or ears to hear. Most of them didn't have the new heart. Some did, 
Return to the Lord and obey him with all your heart. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart to love God with all your heart. Listen to 1 Samuel, another Old Testament verse. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. The Old Testament is full of verses dealing with the fact that you are dead in the inner man. Your spiritual being is dead to God. You need a new heart. You need a new inner man. When Paul in Romans 2 is addressing the Jews, he says, you have a zeal for God, but it's without knowledge. And then in verses 28 and 29, he says, you have the circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but what you need is a circumcised heart. The flesh needs to be cut away from that. You need a new heart like Ezekiel was talking about. I am going to replace, God says, your heart of flesh, your heart of stone, and give you this new heart which you desperately need. And under the new covenant, everyone who is part of the new covenant, you can be part of the old covenant, people, and not have a new heart and be totally lost. If you're a new covenant child, you have a new heart. That's what brought you into the new covenant. And now you're a part of it. Everyone who is fully in the new covenant has a new heart. The Pharisees and the scribes, by and large, some received new hearts. By and large, they had no new heart at all. They were living in their own strength. You remember what 1 Corinthians 2 says? 1 Corinthians 2 says, they did not understand me because of the foolishness. They, they looked at all of this as foolishness because, in essence, they needed a new heart. You don't even understand the gospel. Abraham had to have a new heart before he believed God in Genesis 15. He had to be changed. He had to understand. Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, you don't understand. The, the natural man, he says, does not understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him. And you know what the word natural is there? Soulish. The man that's just soulish, that tells you something. The man that's just soulish doesn't understand the things of God. Why do you think Jesus went to Nicodemus or Nicodemus came to Jesus and then Jesus opens up with him and says, Nicodemus, you're a teacher in Israel, and you don't know that you need to be born from God? That's under the old covenant, folks. Nicodemus, a teacher of old covenant truth, didn't know you needed a new heart that Moses wrote about. Everyone that's ever been saved in the Old Testament or new has been saved because of the grace of God making their heart alive, working in their heart in the inner man so that they could have a relationship with him. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, even the faith. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. If you have a new heart, it's because God sovereignly gave it to you. You didn't do anything 
to get it. There's nothing you can boast about. Not even your faith. You can't even say, well, I believed in him. Yeah, you did. But it was God's grace that worked in you to open your eyes to see and open your ears to hear by giving you life, by giving you new birth. And notice Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish this law. Not even the smallest letter, Hebrew letter, a jot, a yod, or a tittle, a, a small part of a letter. It might change a D from an R in Hebrew. That's a tittle. He said, I didn't come to abolish this. Every jot and every tittle of it is going to be fulfilled. I didn't come to do, it, do away with it, to say it was bad. In essence, I think he's telling us, I came to fulfill it. Now, that's the big question here. And that's what makes this passage so hard. Is he saying the old covenant law is going to exist as long as the earth exists and the heavens exist? Because did you notice what he said there? This law that I'm proclaiming to you will not pass away until earth and heaven cease to exist or it's fulfilled. See, that's the issue in, in understanding this. He's not saying the old covenant is still in force today. The old covenant has been replaced by the new. The gracious covenant, the everlasting covenant, it's been replaced. He wasn't saying that it was going to last until the earth is destroyed at the Lord's second coming. No way he was saying that. We can be assured of this as well as we look at the scriptures. The old covenant is past. So we know that's not what he's saying. Because the earth is still here and the heavens are still here. And Christ is still in heaven awaiting to come the second time. But the old covenant is gone. Now there are some that say the old covenant, when we look at it, there's moral law, there's ceremonial law, there's civil law. There's those three brackets. And some would say, I think that part of the old covenant comes forward because of the moral law coming forward. Now, I, I get where they're coming from in that, but I think it's better to say this, put it this way. What Jesus is saying is, when I fulfill this old covenant, yes, there will be part of the moral law. There will be things back here that were eternal and everlasting, things that were in the Ten Commandments, except I think you'd, make, you'd have a hard time proving that the Sabbath continued because Hebrews tells us the Sabbath has been fulfilled. So it looks like nine of the Ten Commandments have been brought forward and much of the Old Covenant law has been brought forward, the moral law, the loving of God with all your heart, the loving of your neighbor as yourself, that's been brought forward, but the Old Covenant hasn't been brought forward. That's been brought forward because those were eternal, righteous 
and godly and spiritual truths that now have been embraced by and are under the new covenant. We still have commands and laws to obey under the new covenant. You remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 9? He said um, to the Jews, when I was ministering to them and I was taking the gospel to them, I became as a man under the law so I could reach them. I watched how I lived. I, I didn't want to offend, but I brought the gospel to them. But when I ministered to the Gentiles who were without law, I became as a man without law. Now, what did Paul mean by that? He goes on to say, he says, but I wasn't without law myself. I am under the law of Christ. That's new covenant law. That's the new covenant commands and law that we have. It's the law of Christ. It's been brought over. It was, if it was there in the Old Testament, it was eternal and it was brought forward, but it's been joined by much more under the new covenant. Under the new covenant. That's where we live. That's where we are. But Jesus is saying, he wants us to know this old covenant is in fact every part of it and he's preaching to people who are living under it, it's in effect until the earth perishes, is destroyed, or it is fulfilled. That's what we need to key in on, if it is fulfilled. We're going to look at a couple verses. Turn with me, if you would, first of all, to Galatians. Galatians. I'm going to read a couple out of verse or chapter 3, a couple of verses of Galatians out of chapter 3, and then we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and a couple of verses in Hebrews. Genesis 3.19. Why the law then? Why the Old Testament law? It was added because of sin, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come, Christ, to whom the promise has been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be fulfilled, justified, excuse me, we may be justified by faith. You see what Paul is saying there? The law had its place. He'll say later in Romans chapter 7, the law is holy and just and good. The problem in the Old Covenant wasn't with the law and the fact that the law was bad. There was a problem with the law because the law can't save anyone. But the law itself wasn't bad. It pictures the righteousness of God. But what we find is Jesus comes and fulfills the law and gives us salvation by grace through faith in him and gives us life. 
They could get that life even under the Old Covenant. But the Old Covenant was put there to point them to the fact, look in the mirror, you can't do this. I require perfection. We needed perfect righteousness, which comes to us in Christ, which we refer to as imputation, justification. We need his perfect righteousness put to our account, but we need to practice righteousness also, sanctification by the power of the Spirit of God. The Old Testament, listen to what it talked about. The Messiah's coming to earth, his death on the cross for sins, his resurrection from the dead, his substitutionary payment for our sin, his fulfilling all that the law required, his bringing in the Gentiles, his being the seed of Abraham, it's all there. So Jesus isn't saying in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount that the old covenant's going to last. No, he came, he came to fulfill it. Turn with me over to Hebrews for just a moment. Look at just a couple verses there, and then I want to turn you to Ephesians chapter 2. In Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 7 and verse 12, listen to this. We were at the East Campus last Sunday night, and we heard Dan preach on this chapter. And lo and behold, this wonderful verse is there. Verse 12 of Hebrews 7. For when the priesthood is changed, and he's just been talking about Christ being the priest of a different order. He's not of Aaron's order. He's of the order of Melchizedek. And he says, when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. The old covenant law is done. Under the new priest is the law of Christ, the new covenant law. It is there. Listen to this out of verse 22, same passage. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The old covenant wasn't give to save. It was give to point out the need for salvation and point to the one because all the prophets wrote about him, Peter said in Acts. Point to the one that could come and save you. That's why it was there. Listen to a couple of verses out of chapter 8, verse 6 and 7 in Hebrews. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says. And then he quotes from the Old Testament over and over. But he ends up with verse, uh, at the end of this, verse 13, when he says, a new covenant, he has, when he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. It's done with. It's no longer what we need to look to. We are under the new covenant inaugurated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one other passage I want you to turn to is Ephesians. And I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. I'll read them. Therefore, remember the, that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, 
who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing, that's not the same word as abolish over in Matthew 5. Maybe we could translate this word better, it's a different word, invalidate, by invalidating in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two in, into one new man, thus establishing peace. Christ has invalidated. He came to fulfill the old covenant. And it is obsolete. It is done. Under the new priest comes a new order, a new covenant, and new law. You know, there, there are times when I talk to some people about, especially those who hold that the new covenant simply brings forth the old covenant moral law. Now, when they speak that way, I, I say to them, how do you know then exactly, if you're reading the old covenant and reading material there, how do you know which is exactly moral and then you know to bring that forward? How do you know that? Some have told me, well, for instance, back in the Leviticus, it says that uh, writing on your arm with a, some kind of pen was sin. And so, therefore, we can interpose that that should be transferred over to the new covenant. And if you get a tattoo, that's sin. And here's my question to them is, how did you get that from Leviticus and make it tattooing and bring it over here? and put it under the new covenant, when it's not over here under the new covenant? And their answer is, well, I don't know. I, one of them told me, I mediated it through the hands of Christ. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, I don't know. I'm still working on that. You've got to be careful when you go to the old covenant and try to bring things over. You've got to be careful what my, what my feeling is and my my faith is, is that what's in the new covenant is all that I need. From Matthew to Revelation. And yes, a lot of that is over here in the old covenant. I can see it. Same stuff. But I don't want to add to that. Paul said, I'm under the law of Christ. And he said, I'm sending you apostles, you disciples, I'm sending you my spirit so they can teach you what I didn't have time to teach you, and it can be part of that new covenant. It's in the new covenant. I'm going to send that spirit to do that. I say then, what's in the new covenant is what we need for life and godliness and righteousness. Now, we, we come to that part, let me see what... The clock says, oh my goodness, we've got so much time. Uh, may, may, maybe my watch stopped, I don't know. But verses 19 and 20, 
Now he's talking again to us. He's talking about his view of the law and, and so forth that he's going to be talking about when he gets into the sermon. But listen again to verse 19 and 20 where he's talking about the children of God and the law. He says, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall, he, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter. Now, there's a couple things we have to sort out in looking at those. Number one, as you look at what he's saying, is he saying that somebody can totally either change or not live up to one of the commandments and teach others to do so too, and he's going to be in heaven, he's going to be fine? Is that what he's saying? Because if you get to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, he says... Narrow is the way to get in, and only those who bear fruit. And he says, bad trees don't bear good fruit, and good trees don't bear bad fruit, and so people who are entering the kingdom must bear fruit. They must practice righteousness. That's what he says. So the only thing that I can assume that he's saying here, I don't I don't know that he's saying that somebody who can break the least of these commandments and teach others to do is just going to be least in the, in the kingdom, and the one who obeys is going to be great, so you can be in the kingdom and just go ahead and disobey. Maybe he's saying this, if you break one of these least and you've taught somebody else and you repent of that, and you confess it, and you change your life and you begin to do it, yeah, you'll be there but your rewards won't be as great as those who have been faithful throughout their lives. He could be saying that. But I'll tell you one thing he's not saying for sure. He's not saying you can be there and live any way you want to. See, there are some people who interpret grace and faith as saying, I believe that's all I need to do. My name is written down. Now I can live any way I want to. I'm telling you folks, the new covenant does not teach that. I could turn you to 20 different passages this morning that make it very clear. You have got to be living it. So Jesus isn't saying when he says your righteousness has to be greater. He's not just talking about justification. He's not just saying you have to see the Savior and put your trust in Him, and, and everything's okay. And you can live any way you want. Not in any way is He saying that. He is saying, I am saved you to give you imputed, perfect righteousness which you need, which will be mine, reckoned to you. But I am also giving you the Spirit of God and a new spirit so that you can practice that. So that you can practice it. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This is why James says, be a doer of the word 
If you say, I have believed, and you are not a doer of the word by the power of the Spirit in you, you are deceived. You don't know him. Jesus, when he says, your righteousness has got to be far surpassing when it comes to theirs, he's saying you need a new heart. You need the Spirit of God. You need to be living in his power, in his strength, so that he will be glorified, he will be magnified. Others can see the difference in you, and the Spirit of God can change them as well. He changes them through the preaching of the gospel and through the living of the gospel, but he also changes them by bringing new life. That's the most important, bringing new life to them. Children of the kingdom, don't be thinking that he's saying, you can live any way you want to. And I wouldn't even be thinking that, you, you could be, that he could be saying to you, just go ahead and, and disobey any of the least of these commands that you want to. You'll be there. You'll just be the least in the kingdom. Be careful with that. Be careful. So as we look at all of this, Jesus is saying, there is going to be a change because I came to fulfill. Until that time, until the, until the, uh, the change occurs, and that's when he dies and he's raised and he ascends, and the new covenant in Acts 2 comes into being, and the old is replaced, and in A.D. 70, the temple is torn down and has not existed until this day, Jesus is saying, it is over. It is obsolete. It talked about me. It talked about my coming. And you are to look to me and have the righteousness which only I can give you. And what he goes on to do then in Matthew chapter 5, 21 through the end of 7 is to talk about what heart righteousness looks like, what it includes, and the way that we should be living. For instance, some of you say it's okay to divorce your wives as long as you give them a certificate. Here, honey, it's all written out. He says that's absolutely not what my law teaches. The only reason you can divorce your wife if she is unfaithful to you and she breaks the marriage vows and then someone who marries her breaks marriage vows. But don't just think you can do what you want to do here and overlook everything by giving a certificate. Don't think that if you're angry, you haven't committed murder in your heart. You have. You need a righteousness which only I can give you, which is a heart righteousness. Let me just say this in conclusion. The Lord's purpose is to show the true meaning of the law. The righteous commands of God given to, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, here's what we can say about them. They're given, number one, to point primarily to the spirit of the law and not to its letter. Number two, 
that conformity to the law did not just involve our outer actions, but our motives. Number three, it's given to lead us to do right and at the same time to love doing right. Not just because it is right, but to love it. To love doing what is right because it's pleasing to Him. Number four, it's not just an end in itself, but ultimately the way that we can come to know God and love Him and serve Him. And number five, it's being is more, it tells us that being is more important than doing. In fact, it says to us, unless you really are, unless, unless you can be something, you can't do. Doing is necessary, but doing for the right reason and with the right motives and with the right power and for a deeper relationship to God. So just go back and think through the Beatitudes again. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, who've come to God and said, God, I am so, I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do to have a relationship with you, to please you, and call out to him. Someone who weeps over sin and understands sin, and who is therefore meek and hungers and thirsts after righteousness, and is merciful and pure in heart and is a peacemaker and embraces persecution for being that way. That's what a true believer is. And if Doug goes on to, sermon, uh, to Matthew 5, 21 next week, I'll be praying for him that he can unfold that for us and see more of what Jesus is saying. Do you have a heart for him? Do you obey because you love to obey because it's him that asked you to? And you have his power working in you? Or is the Christian life just a struggle that you don't really care for, but you're doing the best you can? Turn to Christ. Ask him for a circumcised heart, a new heart. Christianity is a heart matter. Not I'm trying to work my way, but I'm living it in his power to please him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, I pray with all my heart that you might continue your work in me, for I can do nothing apart from you, and I have nothing to offer except what you've done in me. I pray for everyone here this morning, Father, that they might know you, that they might proclaim the gospel, that they might have heart righteousness through Christ and be living fully under the new covenant, which is the eternal covenant, covenant and which has replaced for all time that which came before. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and dying and living a perfect life under the law and giving us your righteousness through faith. We will be eternally grateful to you. And I pray, Father, that we might go forth and live 
and be sanctified and live out that truth in the power of your spirit. Demonstrating, becoming more like Jesus Christ every day and showing the world who he is. We pray this in his name. Amen.